This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. Hey, Em. Hey, Jen. How are you? I'm doing as well as I can do yes. in these moments. How are you doing, babe? Well, you know, last week I had a 102 episode. This 102 fever. This week I have um, 102 episode. I had 102 fever. Episode. This week I had bronchitis. So here so we this, are, this girl everyone. is a multi-trick pony. <laughs> <laughs> you really, you, you really can get through anything. It's incredible. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. It's really thrilled to be here today. Thrilled to spend this time with you and all the listeners. And we have a great intro today. Um, Emily wrote in, tell us the story of how you named your pets. And I don't think I actually know Louise. I don't think I have one. I mean, we were like coming up with a bunch of names, you know, and then I think we started singing that song like, uh, isn't there like a Louis? Louis? No. Louis, Louis. Is that oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Louie, Louie. Yeah, we started saying that song. We were like, oh, that's nice. That's fun. So now we just named him Louie. We thought it was cute. <laughs> what about Nellie? And then Nellie, my husband knew someone named Nellie, and he like really liked the name. <laughs> He's like, we're not going to have a kid. Let's use this name now. Okay. I swear to God, I did not make this up. You fucking told me it's for the NFL. Uh, no. <laughs> that never happened. You did make that up. Why I did would not, it be? Wait, why would it be for the NFL? Because Bill wanted the NFL. That feels like a thing that happened. No, did I dream it? 
Wait, is that, does it have something to do with Nelly? Like NFL Nelly Nelly? No. Nope. nope. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Listen, but I, you might have dreamed it and I feel honored. You can't make me cough today. You can't make me laugh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm so hilarious. <laughs> I, I am honored that you're dreaming about Nelly and her name and apparently the NFL. Dude, I what don't know where that you? came from. How did you name? Honestly, you have the best names and you're very creative. So how did you come up with your pup's names? Well, Murphy was named at the shelter. Right. And mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. felt too fucked up to change his name. Right. They thought he was an Irish wolfhound at the shelter. I have no idea how in retrospect. He doesn't look like an Irish wolfhound. He's just tall. I have no idea. And so they named him Murphy. They gave him an Irish name. And so we just kept it because we didn't give him an identity disorder. Right. And That's so nice of you. And then Dolly Parton is our second dog, and she had a big hair and a big chest. And so we went with Dolly Parton, one of my idols. Also, my daughter loves the song Jolene. It's a good one. And so it just sort of came together like that. Dolly P, baby. I love that. I'm going to start, you know, we call her Dolly, but I'm going to start using her full name. Well, we use her full name when she's in trouble. Because I talk to her all the time. (laughs) Yeah, you do often talk to her. No, when she's in trouble and I'm like, Dolly Parton, get over here. Yes. Does it work? You know? No, no, no. She couldn't give a fuck less about anything I have to say right. or do. I have our older dog, our rescue, is the best dog in the entire world. And Dolly P, Dolly Parton, is the worst dog in the entire world. And I love her so much, but she's so naughty to the point where even the trainer we paid thousands of dollars to help us with said, eh, she's just a really active dog, and then gave a shrug. Wow. <laughs> Dolly P, you know. She is. She is. So Murphy's a rescue, but we thought he, but we did like a doggy DNA test, which was $20 off Amazon. So I'm sure it was super fucking reliable. And it said that he had one parent, which was um, an old English sheepdog and another parent that was old English sheepdog, Alaska Malamute mix. So we're like, oh, he's mainly old English sheepdog. We're going to get another old English sheepdog. We love him so much. I think maybe what we loved was the Alaskan Malamutes. <laughs> right. And you didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Old English sheepdogs are like, they call them like lifetime toddlers. Like they're oh. very playful, but they're also like super naughty and super fucking smart. I wish I was a lifetime toddler. <laughs> no, you wish you were back in the womb and you didn't exist. I do. I do. That's true. Someone would just, someone take care of me, please. Yeah, somebody take care of you me. Know, that would well, be so lovely. Speaking of things to take care of, let's today talk about taking care of shame. Today's yes. episode is all about shame. And, oh, we had this other exciting thing that's happening, which is from here on out, you'll be able to actually skip the intros if you want to get right into the content by checking out the show notes and jumping to the minute marker listed. So now it's like you're going to be able to go to the show notes and it's going to say like, oh, minute five, we're going to talk about how to get yourself out of a shame spiral. So if you don't want to listen to us talk about all the other exciting things like our dog's name you can just go forward with that and that's not exactly and you know what i think that it's the the jury's out in terms of like there's certain people who love the intros and certain people are like just give me the information you know this is everyone this we're trying to help everyone you know (laughs) and there's some people who like it some people who don't yes so to each his own so yeah today we're going to be talking about shame what a fun topic so let's talk about it. We're going to talk about, we're going to start with sort of basics here. A lot of people ask me really similar stuff. So first, I'm going to talk about shame versus guilt. So I'm going to sort of define these for everyone, which is shame is a feeling that your whole self is wrong, that it may not be related to a specific behavior or event. 
And guilt is a feeling you get when you did something wrong or perceive that you did something wrong. So like the, the you know, the cliff notes to this is shame, I am bad and guilt, I did bad. Mm. And uh, so those are different. And I think that they're used very interchangeably because they sort of feel similar. We can sort of feel them in our stomach um, and feel like we want to make ourselves small or hide. And so they give us very similar bodily reactions. So I think they get confused a lot. But these are very different things. And, you know, I think another important thing to talk about is like the reason why it's important to make the distinction between the two is because you can aim to foster feelings of guilt if you are trying to rectify like something that you did that maybe wasn't so great. Whereas shame can often be paralyzing and destructive in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And so to be able to master the distinction between the two can really help you to grow because I think sometimes people uh, you know, find ways to foster the feeling of shame as opposed to the feeling of guilt. Yeah. And the feeling of shame, for the most part, is not helpful. Stop. Some Someone did ask, right, is shame ever helpful? So here's what I would say to this. How do you define helpful? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a good question over here. I define helpful as like allowing us to grow. And I do not see shame as helpful for that. But I will say I see it as incredibly informative because we can take a deeper look at like what we think and what we believe about ourselves and other people. So I think that that would probably be how you actually define the word helpful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't lead to grow if we let it contain. And the things that we need to remember is that shame needs three things to survive. And this, a lot of this comes from um, the research of Brene Brown. You could read a million of her books. You could watch her Netflix, see her on Oprah, blah, blah, blah. There's a million fucking things, popular TED Talk. And so it, she did all of this research, right? People interviewed people around shame. And she found that shame needs three things to survive. And those are secrecy, silence, and judgment. And so shame is helpful when we look at it and understand the information, shame is not helpful when it lives within secrecy, silence, and judgment because then it grows. It's it's sort of like the perfect um, incubator. Beautiful. Oh, incubator. <laughs> but and then, you know, to combat that, right, like that the the way in which Brene Brown always talks about how to battle that is vulnerability. Right. That's that combats the secrecy. It combats what other, whatever the other things were. Secrecy, in. silence, and judgment. Thank you. I was really, uh, you know, waiting for your support. Well, and it's, and it's interesting because she also writes, so she had this other research that came out, which is basically people will talk a lot about a shame spiral or shame cycle. And so basically, I feel shame and then I get lost in my thoughts and I feel more and more shame and I feel smaller and worse and deeper and darker and all of these things. And it's very hard to get out of a shame spiral once we enter into it. So the way Brene breaks it down is that there's like four steps to getting out of the shame spiral. So first is know what triggers the shame. Two is the reality check, which is usually talking to someone, uh, talking to yourself as someone you love. Three is reach out and share your story. So reaching out to someone you trust, and that's not everyone. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Four is speak about shame, which is telling your story. There's um, a saying in Alan on an AA, which is you're only as sick as your secrets. 
And so we've talked a lot about this before, is that secrecy and privacy are very different things. We are not saying that you need to tell your shit to everyone under the goddamn sun. There are lots of folks that it is not actually safe to tell vulnerable information to. And right, so let's say that um, we had quite a few people that asked about sexuality shame. Here's an example. I grew up in a very, let's say that I grew up, I'm not talking about me, but let's say some people that grew up in a very puritanical um, purity culture situation, a very religious or extremist household. And they realized, hey, I'm gay, I'm bi, I'm trans, any of these things, right? Now, when I talk about this idea of like, you know, people say like, speak your truth is the very common slang. Don't fucking speak your truth to a bunch of people that are going to abuse you and hurt you from it. That is not going to combat shame. And so that's what I mean. And that's something that would maybe be privacy. If something is going to hurt me to share with other people, not hurt me like I'm going to feel discomfort. That's not hurt. Hurt me is that they're going to use it against me or they'll exploit me in some way or they'll cause harm to me. Then it's a really great idea to keep things private. That is different than a secret that holds shame. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? (laughs) It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz and Hungry Root will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids' snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil, keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair 
cut or went to the salon, which is, of course, the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I use this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks. I love the idea of really figuring out who is safe to be able to share this with because shame is so deep and runs so deep and that the antidote to it is vulnerability that if you're sharing it with someone who it isn't a safe relationship it can drive you so much deeper into your shame and so if you're listening to this i would encourage you to really sit down and think about who are safe people to be able to share some of these things with. And it's possible that you have people in your environment that are safe for certain Mm -hmm. areas of shame and not for others and vice versa. Yes. It might depend on the topic. Give me an example of that because I think that is very important for people to understand. So an example of that is exactly what you said, right? That if you're, you know, you grew up in a very religious household. It wouldn't feel safe uh, to share about your sexuality to your parents. However, they are very supportive of, I don't know, if you don't do well on a test, mm. right? Or if you don't do, and they say, well, you know, you tried your best. How can I help support you? And so there may be one area where they can't support you and other areas where they can support yeah. you. And I think where the confusion happens is that we assume that if people in our life are supportive in one area, then they must be able to be supportive in all areas of our lives. And that's not true. Yeah. And I think what happens is we keep going back to the same people and saying, well, why aren't they supporting me here? And why aren't they supporting me here? And we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, as opposed to saying, well, maybe they can't give me the support that I need in this area of my life. And so who else can I turn to, to be able to get that support? You know, this often happens like in our partnerships too, um, in our romantic relationships, because we've been fed this idea that your partner is supposed to complete you and give you a every need, you know, support your every need, fulfill your every need. Um, And that's just simply not true. When you say it, I'm laughing because it's clearly so fucking false and such a fairy tale and idealized thing. But it is so fed to us. Fed completely. And if you even just think about that in a relationship, like that's not even a fair expectation to put on another person. True. For for them to be able to fulfill your every need. And it's also possible that they have the capability of being supportive of you 
at a time in their life and then not being supportive at a different time in their life because of what they're going through, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So safety and deciding who's a safe person in your life might also mean monitoring you know, where that person is in their own lives. Like if they have the space for that and reaching out and saying, hey, do you have the space for this? Like I want to share something with you. Um, So it's not an automatic, right? It's something to navigate. It's something to be mindful of, of like who are the safe people in my life and how do I navigate that on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. So someone said, how do we heal from this? There were so many questions about how. And so I want to break it down a little more. So the first thing we said before is from the research of Brene Brown, which is one, know what triggers shame, two, reality check, three, reach out and share a story, four, speak about shame. So we talk about the dealing with it. One, the way I would talk about this is look at it right in the fucking face. I feel something big. I feel first, I'm going to figure out is it shame versus guilt. Let's say that it's shame. I'm going to look at the face. What do I actually feel shame about? And what is telling me that that is shameful? right? Two, process it out. So this is when somebody listening to this might be like, okay, well, I don't have a safe person to go to. This is when therapy is helpful. And if you feel judged by your therapist, it is not a safe place to go. Now, let's keep in mind, sometimes we project that feeling onto our therapist. Just because I'm feeling possibly judged by a therapist actually doesn't mean that they necessarily are. It might be that, let's say I'm someone who's like hyper in tune because I had to as a trauma response as a child. So I'm like super aware of other people's facial expressions or body movement or something like that. I tell something that feels shameful to my therapist and my therapist doesn't give a physical response. That actually doesn't mean the therapist is judging you. It means that they might just not be responding on purpose so that they don't add anything into the room. But what you take that on is, oh, they didn't smile or they didn't console me. They didn't do anything. They must be judging me. So I think that that's an important thing to look into because we have heard this time and time and again. I felt very judged by this therapist. And sometimes that's not necessarily what was happening. But it's a really good indicator about how sensitive and how I feel like all um, all consuming shame can be. It t- shame tells you a story, and the story it tells you is that because you're bad, people don't want you around, or you're not good enough, or you're gonna fail, or it tells you all this fucking narrative. And sometimes the cl- it feels like the clinician is telling you that same story. Mm. And I think a good thing to think about in therapy, especially if you have like a long-standing relationship with your therapist. And, you know, if this is the first time you've had that feeling of like, oh, my therapist is just, we have a, you know, a strong relationship and I've always felt safe. I have finally shared this thing that feels really shameful for me. This is the first time I feel really judged by my therapist. Mm-hmm. It might be a good indicator that it is projection, and I would encourage you to bring that up. Like, hey, when I, you know, when I shared this with you, I felt judged in this moment because of X, Y, Z. And so, like, I want to talk through that and what that means because, you know, when we feel shame about something, it is common that, like, we have been holding that so close to the vest for so long that when you're sharing it, You know, the idea is that like, oh, you know, someone is going to think something bad about I have thought that I am so bad for all all of this time and that when I finally share this with someone else, 
and they don't give me whatever response that I'm looking for to feel validated, I'm automatically going to think that they're judging me. It's a really good thing to bring up in therapy with your therapist so that they can help you work through those feelings or that you know idea that you are going to be judged by other people because the relationship that you are building in therapy with your therapist is a relationship that you can take outside of therapy with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's why I encourage you if it feels like a safe environment to bring that up to your therapist. The other end of that is that if you always feel judged by your therapist for things that you say, might not be the right fit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a chance they are right. judging you, right? But that's right. what we have to sort of get into. You know, um, I have to say, do you know who this is when the situation is very common? But tell me. Therapists that are in therapy. Oh, yeah. Which all therapists should be in therapy. But so true. This is very common when you're a therapist. I know lots of therapists listen to the show. This is very common when you're a therapist in therapy because one, you're worried about like what it says about you in your professional life, in your clinical life to say, you know, me and my partner got in this huge fight. I threw a glass at the wall. And then you're like, oh, I look unstable or I look this or I look that because we feel like we have to hold ourselves to this like totally other standard. And so you'll see therapist um i mean we're so good if i um something my therapist said to me she's like you know we're therapists we can manipulate a situation if we want to we get to choose if we use our powers for good versus evil and it's very true and so there are sometimes the clinicians themselves are very good at picking and choosing information that they bring to therapy with yeah and And supervision with yeah and you know what that keeps you in a place where you are holding secrets right or hold it right because you are in therapy to be able to let that out to be able to talk about that and let us just say you know i just want to validate the experience in therapy where you might be in therapy for years years and years and years and not share the things that you feel shame about Mm -hmm. for years yeah and i just want to validate from like a therapist's perspective is that we know that and that's okay. And that like if if someone were to come to me like years, you know, into working together and they say like, hey, I never shared this with you because I feel a lot of shame around it or just I never felt comfortable. We know that that and that's okay. Like there is no pressure and there's no point at which you can't bring something up that you haven't brought up in the past. Yeah. And I think it, it's. There's nothing wrong with needing there to be safety first. Yes. And that's what we're sort of saying is that like the reality is that like not every person is a safe person to share very vulnerable parts of yourself with. If you have lots of safe people around you, I'm so happy for you. It's just not everyone's experience. Right. Right. And and I think that it makes sense that you wouldn't share something for years and years because you're working on building safety in the relationship. Yeah. You like put out little nuggets of like, oh, I, here's a tiny little piece of something that makes me feel shame. And here's another piece of something that makes me feel shame. And then you work through that and you, you work up to the, to the point where you're like, okay, I have shared, you know, I'm ready to share this big thing. But we understand it takes time and it takes time to build that safety in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did you know that billions of plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles end up in landfills every year? I used to contribute to that waste, constantly buying single-use plastic cleaning products without giving it much thought. But then I discovered Blueland, and it has been a game changer. Blueland has helped me eliminate the need for single-use plastic and the products I reach for the most. They are reinventing cleaning essentials. Their approach is simple yet revolutionary. Refillable cleaning products with a sleek design that not only looks great on your counter, but also reduces plastic waste significantly. What I love most is the convenience. With Blueland, I never worry about running out of cleaning supplies or lugging bulky bottles from the store. From hand soap to toilet bowl cleaner to laundry tablets that each smell incredible, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I was blown away when I received my first Blueland order. I immediately filled the bottles with water and their tablets, which was so easy to try everything out. And the ingredients are clean, the scents are refreshing, and the packaging is just so cute. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. If you you're ready to make a positive change for the planet without sacrificing cleanliness or convenience, Blueland has you covered. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash shrinkchicks. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash shrinkchicks for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash shrinkchicks to get 15% off. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on the accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. Wait, so I, I don't yeah. think I, I really finished that last thing. Oh, so I just want to make sure we go because I really want to give people the information because yeah. so many people just kept asking how. Yeah. So I said, like, one, I want you to look it right in the face. Two, it process it out. Three is normalize it. Um, the best thing you can do is find someone who also has had that experience or can normalize it in some way. I have found this to be incredibly true, especially around parenting stuff. Four, I want you to, to come up with some counteracting thoughts. And a great thing to do this is journaling it, thought logs, writing it out to say to yourself like, okay, just because I didn't interact in the best way possible, I didn't have my best communication skills during this interaction, does that mean I'm garbage and I don't deserve relationships? Probably fucking not, right? Let's reality check that a little bit. And then there's another part I want you to think about, which is the root formation of shame. Where did this come from? At some point, this was developed in my life. So maybe that's as a child, I got trouble for something or I was told information. I think this really goes back to purity culture with sexuality. If you were told or even if you weren't directly told, but you heard messaging of like, let's say, like um, anti-gay rhetoric. And then you're like, oh, how could I possibly 
admit to myself that I'm bisexual. Well, even if somebody didn't directly say that, we make a lot of fucking context clues. Even as children, they can come up with context clues. Mm. And so we have to look at the root formation of some of this shame. And I think a lot of people, a lot of times we think that it's always our families that kind of fuck us up, which is really not accurate. We can have any type of childhood interaction. It can be your random neighbor next door. It could be something you overheard in the grocery store, the librarian, a teacher. We just are incredibly impressionable growing up. And we look as adults, as people that know right. And we take them as like smarter and more educated and they know the right thing over us. And so it's not always that it came from your family because we had a whole bunch of people that wrote in. We had like a lot of when we uh, do our episode of Childhood Wounds, a lot of people that write in about like, well, I had this great childhood. Well, we're not saying you didn't have a great childhood. We're just saying shit happens. And it's not always from your parents. Yes. And also shame is like, just want to put this out there, is just a natural human emotion. Yeah. It comes up, you know, it's emotions wouldn't be there if they weren't meant to be there. And that I don't mean that like at all times, like you should always feel shame because it's meant to be there. I mean, you know, we're built as human beings to feel emotions, both, you know, positive emotions, negative, Mm -hmm. you know, difficult emotions. And that we talk specifically about shame because it's not necessarily a helpful emotion for us. Um, But just to, you know, give the reality check of like, we all feel this. You know, this is all something that everyone experiences. We just experience it in different ways and in different contexts. There's certain things that I might feel a lot of shame about that like Emily wouldn't feel a lot of shame about and vice Mm -hmm. versa. And that depends on the on our experiences and our environments and the way in which we grew up and the way in which we learn to understand who we are. So someone I, I want to talk about this other question somebody wrote in about, which is dealing with shame about the person I used to be or unhealthy habits I used to engage in. I think that there's something really important about externalizing some of that and looking at ourselves as just human. And here's an example of that. This past weekend, I did a, um, if you've listened to our episode, our astrology episode with Natalie Levin, um, who is like just truly someone who I like love. I've done astrology work with her. I've attended yoga shops with her. And she had a yoga shop um, workshop this past weekend that I went to, which was like, I'm going to be honest, it was two fucking hours. And I was like, huh, Natalie, like usually her classes aren't too intense. I'm sure it'll be lots of talking and very little yoga. It was like the hardest yoga class I've ever taken. But okay, so she does this great yoga class. And it's interesting is at the end of it, She's talking about the astrology and the moons and things that are happening. And someone was like, oh, somebody got shot right up the street last night at two in the morning. And the person started to say, you know, something negative about the shooter. And Natalie did something which was very, very interesting, where she goes, isn't that interesting that that's in all of us? All of us has the ability to be the bad guy. Does that mean all of us are going to go ahead and shoot someone? No, but it means that there is a part of all of us that can do bad things. Mm -hmm. And the second she said this, the energy in the room transitioned of like, oh shit. Like it was about to be talking about how bad this person was in like a very judgmental way. And she immediately did it was like, we all kind of have a tiny bit of that in us. Mm. And isn't that okay? Isn't that human? It's like we're so scared to touch that part about ourselves because we think it means we're bad as opposed to just a human. And you know what happens, too, is that when we deny ourselves the ability to acknowledge those very human parts of us, it leads us 
to judgment of other people's very human parts, which then leads to disconnection in your relationships. So the more that you can connect to those very human parts to say, listen, that's where I was at that time. I made these decisions. Maybe, you know, I was reactive. Maybe I was really struggling. And because of that, I was looking for something to, you know, make me feel better, right? To really understand that like you were human making these, you know, human decisions or like going through these human emotions at the time, really understanding those parts of yourself and acknowledging and allowing yourself to be human. And that in turn allows you to and opens you up to others' very human parts and to accept those very. And you then become not only a safe space for yourself to be human, but a safe space for other people to be human. And so if you're listening and you're saying, oh, well, like I am very judgmental of other people. I think someone said how to deal with someone else's shame about a situation. And I'm Mm. not saying this is the context, but you know, if you find yourself being very judgmental of other people, I want you to think about how much am I judging myself for being human? How hard am I on myself? How much do I tell myself that I am bad or I've done, you know, because of this, I am bad in some way? Because I think it, it'll give you a good understanding or indicator of where you have to start with that. And that is creating a safer space for yourself to make mistakes, to be human, and to learn from those mistakes, which will then in turn allow you to do that for other people. I know we have to get to Dear Jen, but I wanted there's two questions I want to get to quickly and just give answers to because I feel like they're common ones. So one is um, shame about seeking help with mental health, specifically medication. First, I want to normalize that and help you understand that culturally we stigmatize mental health. The same reason why the fuck does an insurance cover all mental health, but it covers physical stuff. I mean, insurance sucks in general, but still like (laughs) just there from like a really admin part of this, like their shame right there that I have to like get my insurance company to cover extra sessions or I have to convince something to do right to find it. It's very difficult. It's not necessarily normalized, especially when we talk about relational family or couples therapy. And when it comes to medication, there's also a huge belief around, one, it shouldn't be for forever, and it should only be in emergencies. And I don't believe either of those are true. We had a really, there was an interesting thing that happened this past year. um, We were at the um, psychotherapy networker, and somebody was giving, right, a talk and said they got off meds and all the therapists cheered. And like, that was gross. Right? Yes. Wasn't that fucking gross that happens? Like, why the fuck were everyone cheering for that? Now, if this person had said, this was my ultimate goal, I have worked very hard, I wanted to do IVF and get off some, whatever the fuck it was, it's one thing. They didn't say any of that. The therapist just cheered. And like, that was disgusting to me. I can't believe that. I know. Because medication is incredibly life-saving to tons and tons of people. Me, I am one of those people that just simply live a much happier life with medication. That's it. And I'm not someone who's on medication right now and hoping to get off of it. I'm a fucking lifer, baby. I ain't raw dogging this shit. It's horrible. (laughs) So what I would just want to say is that like we're kind of fucked from the get-go in this culture and try to understand like it's not just coming from you. It's such an external stigma that of course you feel it. And do you surround yourself with information, people, and professionals 
that also allow it to um, to be something that's helpful. And then the other one I quickly, quickly want to answer is, is it possible to ever overcome body shame? One of the best ways that we can overcome and deal with body shame is to also deal with body grief. And so body grief is saying, you know what? In this world, my body is maybe not um, celebrated the same way someone else's body is. Or um, life is simply easier if you're in a different size or smaller size body, any of these things. And so if you're going to explore body shame, I would also encourage you to explore body grief. Okay, sorry. I had to do those before. I know we no, have to I go Dear that. Em and Jen. I my mind to make sure we got to them. Let's do, it. Let's do Dear Em and Jen. I'll read it. Ready? Dear Em and Jen. I'm 33, just now starting my healing journey from growing up with toxic shame. I just recently started to s- seeing a new therapist who was amazing, and your podcast encouraged me to get back into therapy, so thank you. Thank you. And after one session, my world was rocked. I shared with her the debilitating guilt I have lived with since being a teenager, the feelings of self-isolation, extreme avoidance, and my desire and want for others to feel indifferent towards me. I was raised by a mom with untreated borderline personality disorder, along with narcissist personality disorder. I lost my dad a couple years ago after a challenging relationship, and I'm a neuro-ICU nurse of several years, which is very emotionally demanding. My therapist let me dump every incoherent thought, feeling, and trauma I've experienced in the last two decades, and she very kindly told me I was confusing guilt with shame. I think she could see the immediate denial in my eyes and ask me, do you feel guilty for the things you've done wrong or do you feel you're wrong or bad the way you are? When she went into more in depth on this, I started crying tears of relief because this burden I've been carrying for so long finally had a name. So my question is, how do I let go of shame from the past and let myself move on? I feel relief and more joy with the work I'm doing, but I'm also experiencing new feelings of anger, sadness, and grief. I feel shame from the shame I have lived with for so long. How do I break that cycle? I have been single for years, and I finally want to move towards finding a relationship and creating connection with others. But where do I even begin? I'm fearful of being an emotional burden to someone. Hello, parentification. So I just avoid it altogether. How do I release the control the shame has over me so I can live a full and meaningful life? You guys are amazing. Thank you for all that you do. You are literally saving lives out here. That's so nice. No, it's so interesting. This person's really touching on, I'm now experiencing all these other emotions, right? So for so long, I was experiencing this intense shame. And now that it's renamed, now all of a sudden I'm feeling feeling feelings of anger, sadness, and grief, which make complete sense. When we discount, when we separate our feelings and only feel one part of it, when we then start to detangle that, everything else is going to come whooshing in. And so that is a hard web to start to untangle. And it's one of those things like cleaning out your closet that sometimes it gets messier before it gets better. (laughs) Because all these big emotions come up, right? The other thing about shame is often it is misdirected anger directed at ourselves because it's not, what are we supposed to do with anger towards our parents? Sometimes it's helpful, but usually something we talked about before is like, if something bad happens as a child, you usually say, well, what's wrong with me? What did I do? And so all these emotions this person's feeling now make complete sense to me. I also think the grief is a big part. And someone else asked a question about it that, you know, when you start to acknowledge 
these things and you start to understand these things and you understand your shame and guilt in a completely different way, that it also means grieving the idea that you had of yourself and the world that you built around you um, and understanding yourself from a completely different place. And although you feel relief from that, it also means that the understanding that you have built of yourself, your childhood, something that maybe protected you in certain ways you're also having to grieve and create a new identity and understanding of who you are. And so with that is relief, is joy, is, you know, I'm opening myself up to new connections. Um, but it can also bring about feelings of grief and to allow both all things to exist in one. And I know that that can be confusing and it can be complicated, but when you're unpacking a lot of this, it brings about so many complex emotions. And once again, to allow yourself to be human and to feel all of those emotions as they come up at different times, all of them can exist at once. Mm -hmm. So I want this person to go back a little bit about how you break the cycle. We just went through that process of how to do it. I also think it might be helpful for this other person, whether you're finding this person might be also a great candidate for group therapy. Of someone who's recovering from narcissistic or borderline parents and also reading books. I'm thinking about the book Mother Hunger for this person. I'm thinking about um, loving someone with borderline personality disorder. I'm thinking about walking on eggshells. I'm thinking about um, adult children of emotionally um, uh, immature parents. Any of these things, it might be helpful for the normalization that this is not just you. Because one of those things you talk about is you're already finding a safe place to go through with this. I think I'm wondering if you're going to the place of what triggers the shame and then speaking out about the shame and telling your story and group might be a great place for you to do something like that. There's our episode. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, you think it would be helpful for a friend who maybe is experiencing some shame, send it on over to them. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you are looking for a therapist, we have incredible therapists um, in person in our Philadelphia office and our Westchester office um, and virtual in uh, multiple locations across the U.S. If you are interested in being set up with one of our therapist, you can reach out. Check out our website at thetherapygroup.com. You can fill out a contact form. That's about it. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you as always. And don't forget to grow yourself. You got to know yourself. We'll see you next week. <laughs>